listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Joe Bevilacqua. If we haven't had the chance to meet him, the lead pastor, last message in our series, Full Tank. Everybody go, wah, wah, wah. I know, this has been so great. Uh, hey, take out something to take notes with. Uh, one thing before I read this scripture passage, uh, maybe you want to get excited. 30 people got baptized last week. Come on, New Chapel. And in between church uh, today, first service and second service, somebody came up and said, hey, can we get baptized as well? And so we're having a baptism after church today. And so you can hang around for that. Uh, This last message of Full Tank, I think, is really going to be the thing that ties the whole series of messages together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. We're going to be talking about faith that is all in. Joshua chapter 14. Let me read this. The Bible says this, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb said, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Remember that. Verse 8, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. Wow. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Let's all say the word wholeheartedly. One, two, three. Wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God. Say it with me, wholeheartedly. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time. He said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Come on, old man strength. Verse 12, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Analekites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but... With God's help, I'm going to drive them all out, he says. Verse 13, Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jeph, the Kenan's Bible's hard, everybody, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Say it with me. They followed wholeheartedly. I want to bring you a message about faith that's all in. Everybody say all in. This series, Full Tank, is really based on John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus makes the distinction in between the plans that the enemy has and the plans that he has for our life. And he says that I want you to have life to the full, life that more abundantly. We're going to be talking about living a life of faith, in, in, in specific, using the story of Caleb from the Old Testament to do that. Now, the children of Israel started, like many people do, super zealous for God. Over and over again in this passage, you read that word wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. It's like Caleb is on fire. He's like, God, whatever you call me to do, I'll do it. And with everything that I have, I'll worship you, I'll seek you. 
And that zeal sees him through to being 85 years old and still hungry for the things of God. He's seen the promise come to pass in his life. And many people, even in the sound of my voice here today, uh, you'd say, Pastor Joe, I started that way. Like when I accepted Christ, I was so excited. I was like, man, my family's going to serve God. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go to the nations, whatever you tell me to give or do. I give up the things of the world, but I'll go to all the world. I want you. And in this godly family, I'm telling you, bless God, anytime the church doors are open, we're going to be there. And then we're going to wake up in the morning with devotions. We're going to be singing hymns come evening time. I'm telling you, we're going to be on fire for God. And then what happens? Life happens. What happens? Uh, uh, Sports happen. School happens. Crisis sometimes happens in our life. Schedules happen. How about summer in Michigan where you're like, I got to do me. I got to go with my life. And, And you take off and great, go have a vacation. But it's like we get out of rhythm Our kids are staying up too late, and we drop some of the things that were milestones in our life. And what happens? We end up giving up on those things, and it's unintentional. But you can start out with all the zeal in the world, but but flash forward five years, and now you've got to, like, throw everybody in the car. You're going to church, but now it's gone down to once a month. If that, you're you're, you're in there, and you're telling your kids, bless God, you're going to act right. (laughs) When we walk by that church house, you're going to act like, Christians, I need Christians. And if, if you say one word of what I told you at home, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you and everybody that you know. And, and, and you're going to act right. And you pull into the church parking lot, and you've been fighting on the way there. And you pull in, and, and Mike and Sherry are opening up the door. They're like, hey, w- welcome to New Chapel. You're like, praise God. Too blessed to be stressed. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? High five, you know <laughs> And it's like, how did we get to that spot? There's people who, who start out with zeal. And they're like, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to start a company. And it's going to be a company. I'm called into the business world. I'm in the marketplace. I'm going I'm to start a business. It's going to be a godly business. We're going to support missions. That's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to have a restaurant. Or we're going we're gonna to sell stuff. And I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. Five years later, you're putting your resume out there. How about the single ladies? Come on, single ladies. Any single ladies in the house? You believe in God. Like, I'm going to have a man of God. I am believing him. I'm not going to compromise on this. I want a man of God. He's going to be passionate. He's going to be, passionate. He's going to be Prince Charming. He's going to be six foot tall. He can be a good kisser. He's going to know what it means to cuddle and to be intimate. He's going to be a man of God, and he's going to be reasonably wealthy. And God, if you have it in your will, if it's your will, even unreasonably wealthy would be fine for me. God, this is my prayer. And also with you. I don't know. Like, five years later, you're like, God, I need a man. <laughs> Just a man. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> and so it's one thing when you start out with all the zeal. Take it on hell with a squirt gun. But sometimes life happens. And, and today I want to build your faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing God's word. I want to give you God's word on this. I want to charge you up a little bit. Because here's my belief. There's a lot of people in the sound of my voice, and, and this message is dedicated to you. You're in the waiting room. You've, you've got an idea of the promise, but you're not there. You're like, God, where are you in all of this? I think that there's some principles from this text that are really going to help. 
So what do we read in Joshua 14, 6? The Bible says that the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb says, you know what the Lord said to Moses about you and me. Let me give you context. The children of Israel have left slavery in Egypt. They've been delivered by Moses. They were delivered, and God has these miraculous sequence of events happen uh, they're, they're walking through the wilderness. It should have been really a short stint through the desert to get to the promised land. And God has promised them this property. And, and notice in this passage, it's eternal. Like it's still, it's still theirs. Don't ever forget that. Different message, but it's still theirs. And, and so God promised it to them. But as they get back, the Canaanites, which are divided into many subgroups that don't really like each other, the Canaanites have taken over this land that's not theirs. They're wicked people. They're sacrificing their kids to idols, and they stole the land from the Jews. Now, in their defense, they didn't know the Jews were gone in Egypt for a long time, but they have to deal with this in a very direct way. And so uh, what happened was when Moses brought the children of Israel to the promised land, they're on the outskirts, the edge of it, they sent in 10 spies. The 10 spies were to go into the land, and really, we need to figure out what we're getting into so we can know how to approach this problem, because this land is what God promised us. And the 10 spies came back. Two of them, we're reading about them today, Joshua and Caleb, they came back with a really good report. And the rest of these jokers came back with a super negative report about what had happened. At the point that we're reading this passage, Moses had passed away. The mantle of leadership is going from Moses to Joshua, one of those two good spies. And unfortunately, a whole generation of people have, have passed away. And a new crop has come up, but the only two that were left from that whole season that remember what Egypt was like and are also ready to go into the promised land are Joshua and Caleb. It says this in verse 7. I was 40 years old, this is Caleb talking, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. Caleb went into the land, and he's experiencing the promise, but he had to see the promise for years, even when he was in the wilderness. Write this down. I want you to see that faith sees it. I only have three points for you today. The first is that faith sees it. Faith has the ability through the eyes of the Spirit not only to see the natural, but to see the supernatural, to see what could be, to see what God is calling us to. The eyes of faith see what could be in Jesus. And God wants to give you a picture of the promise. He wants you to have a visual in your heart. What do you mean, Pastor? Like literally see it with my eyes? No, 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 much more vivid than that. He wants you to see it in living color, but be cemented within you. I've witnessed this firsthand. Uh, June 4th, 2004, I followed a girl to church, a uh, very spiritual reason to go. And I, I went, it was a Saturday night, and I was, I was enamored with what was happening at this church. It was, it was just on fire. And that night, I rededicated my life to Christ. And uh, that's all, I'm going on the 20th year of that, and so you're old. But... Um, I remember it very vividly, and, and it wasn't very long until, uh, that was in summer, obviously, in, in the fall, I was weighing out my calling, I was weighing out where I was going to be going to school. I had a, a scholarship to go to Kendall College. My dad had 
taught there and he had uh, attended there. My grandpa taught there as well, and, and I wanted to go be an architect, a designer. That's really where I was headed in my life. I was going to design the next Eames chair, everybody. Believe me, I would have. And, uh, and so I, I was dreaming about all of that, and uh, I, w- I was down at the altars on one Saturday service. And we were worshiping God, and they played a song. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. It's Big Daddy Weave, Hello, Fields of Grace. Anybody old in the house? <laughs> and they had a lyric in there that says, there's a place where religion finally dies. And in a moment, I saw what I'm doing today. I saw myself preaching. I saw what we did in Pakistan. I saw planting churches that planted churches. And it would take me really hours to convey to you what God spoke to my heart in a moment. He does that. And and, and he spoke to me. I saw it. I knew that I would plant a church in Grand Rapids that would plant churches. I knew it. And I had this visual. I was so convinced of it. These scholarships that I had, it was very easy for me to walk away from them. And I actually, I walked away from all those scholarships to pay full price to go to a Bible college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I loaded everything up in my 1995 Pontiac Sunfire Coupe. You're welcome. And traveled down to Tulsa to eat Raymond noodles for the next several years and study God's word. But I, I, I was, it was easy. And I remember when I got back, I was, uh, I was serving at the local church and I was serving back in kids' church. Uh, this particular night, I didn't teach back in, in uh, preschool very often. I was more with the elementary. But I was teaching in preschool, and I was teaching with a young, cute girl, Erikaya Harvey. And I'm teaching back there. And by the way, if you're single, you're single in here, you pursue God with everything. You serve his house, and you look over. You find somebody else serving God just as strong. Grab their hand and quick, mind you, because church people aren't fair sometimes with that. But you grab them, and you run. And, and my big pickup line for Kaya that night was this. Kind of finished teaching the class. The kids were checked out, and we're cleaning everything up. I said, so, have you ever considered being a pastor's wife? I was smooth, everybody. Smooth. <laughs> You can use that if you like. And we literally laugh about that. I honestly said that before God. But, but as I think about that, that's, those are the words of somebody who's like, I know what God showed me and I know where I'm going. Now, that might not be as smooth as I would do it again, but, you know, take them other places after that. But, you know. And we were enamored. And Kai and I have been serving God and pursuing all that he has for our life. But why? We see it. We see what God has called us to. And when you have that visual, it gives forward motion. Caleb could see what others could not see. What did he see? Well, let me read for you the context. It's out of another book in Numbers. The Bible says this in Numbers 13, verse 27. Uh, They gave Moses this account. So these are the bad spies. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. It was great fruit. But, everybody say but. Some of you got your big old butt in front of what God has called you to do. But the people who live there, they're powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Those are giants, literal giants. Verse 29, the Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Nicotinites and the Pizza Bites and... And then... Caleb silenced the people. This is classic Hebrew poetry. What did Caleb really say? Shut up. Stop it. 
He silenced the people before Moses. The Bible says this. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land. We should do it, verse 30. And we certainly can do it, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger. Now, here's what they're doing. God told them, you take the promised land. You go take it. Sending the spies in had nothing to do with deciding whether or not we were going to take it. Sending the spies in was being like, hey, we're going to be wise about this. We're going to make prudent actions. We're going to take this like step by step. And you can see this is the wisdom of God. These fools went into the promised land. There's walled cities. What does that tell you? It says they don't get along. If you attack one part of the Roman Empire, you attack all of it. Caesar would send, he would send all of his forces to put down a rebellion. In Egypt, if you attacked any part of Egypt, all of Egypt would come against you. The Canaanites weren't like that. They had walled cities. They didn't trust each other. Why have a walled city in a country where you trust everybody? In other news, I think we should build a wall around Chicago, but that's not in my message today. (laughs) For our protection. I want them to get out. Okay. These people are taking issue with God. They're saying, God, you called it. Well, we can't. Who are you to say against the counsel of God? I don't think you're right about that. That's exactly what they're doing. We can't attack those people. They're stronger. And, they, and here's what happened. That, that little news that they're stronger and we can't, it spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said the land we explored devours those living. Well, wait a second. That, that wasn't even in the original report. So it's, it's picking up steam. It's, it's the snowball effect. And all the people we saw there were of great size. That's not true. You saw some of the descendants of, of Anak. How do you go spy out a land where you don't fit in? You fit in with people that are very similar to you. They were spying out the land. They weren't all giants. You see how we start to spin yarns about how something's way bigger than it is, and it has to do with your perception of it. And here's my question. You need to ask this to your spouse, your small group. What do you see? Very, very profound. Because what you're seeing in your future, what you have a concept of visualizing of God's future for you, that's exactly where you're headed. It, you're, great things in life do not happen by happenstance. It's going to be because you have a great vision of this. Do you see problems or promise? Do you see through the eyes of faith, focused on what God has for you? Or do you only see giant problems? Do you only focus on the risks of trusting God? Listen to me. It might feel like a risk to trust God. I concede. Every time I've trusted God with something big, it's horrifying to my emotions. But indeed, there isn't a risk. He's God. What he said, he's going to come through for you. It might have felt close, but it wasn't close to a God that stands outside of time. I'm preaching 700% better than y'all are letting on. Don't preach me down while I'm, while I'm going so good. Say amen, somebody. I preach better and quicker. Don't ever forget with a little bit of encouragement. Caleb saw what others could not see. Why did God permit Caleb to go into the promised land? He could see the invisible If you want to do the impossible, you have to see the invisible. If you see the invisible, you'll do the impossible. And those are the eyes of faith. You have to open up yourself to all of it. And through the eyes of faith, you have to see your marriage restored. You have to see your children serving God. You have to see your needs, your finances being blessed. You have to see our nation being healed. Come on, somebody. 
You've got to see it with the eyes of faith. You've got to see the ministry in your heart being birthed. And if you don't, nobody else is going to do it for you. It's very savage, isn't it? But it's true. You have to open your eyes to all of it. Get a vision of what God is calling you to do. And that vision will preserve you through hard times. Don't ever forget, I have gone through hardship since accepting Christ, since going into the ministry. It hasn't been all roses, but I had a sustaining vision from God that got me through all of that junk. You know, in another part of the Bible, Abraham dealt with this very thing. He had perspective issues. God says to him in Genesis 12, he says, uh, I will make you a great nation. God gives Abraham promises about having a nation being birthed through him, that he's going to have descendants, a son. He had never had a kid yet. And God begins to take Abraham on a journey. He says, leave your, your extended family, this, this, this area that you know, and go to a land I'll show you. And Abraham obeys. But now in Genesis 15, decades down the road, I'll read it for you in verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? When I read that passage, here's what I hear, and maybe this will relate to you. It is so easy if everything's going good, if the one thing that you're fixated on isn't going good, it's all about the one bad thing. So he's saying, well, you call me to be the father of many nations. I don't even have a son. You've taken care of my needs. I'm living in a desert. You bless me. I'm becoming rich in silver, golden capital, all the, all the blessings of God. But what good is it? Can you hear that? And some of us get to that spot where we're like, well, what good is it all, God? But, but the truth is this. Abram's trying to figure God out. In this passage, he's actually speaking to God. He's saying, well, I've got this servant that I could raise up and he could get my inheritance. And I've got this other servant that can help me out with the kid thing. He's striving and scheming to make his own destiny come to pass. And and here's what he's doing. Write this down. He's trying to fit God into his expectations. And if God met all of your expectations, God wouldn't have the opportunity to exceed them. He wants his God to be as big as what he can figure out. And that's not God, and he doesn't play by your rules. His answers to his promise and his word are yes and amen. The way that he brings them to pass blow my mind sometimes. I didn't see it coming a mile away. And, and, and so Abram's at the spot, and he's like, he, he's, he's only seeing the limitations. He's only seeing the problems in it all. And he wants it done on his time, his way, his process. And it's logical. And God's bigger. Ephesians 3.20, God says this in the New Testament. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. The Bible has said in another translation, or imagine according to the power that works in us. He wants to blow your mind, New Chapel. He wants to exceed anything you've ever thought about. And so what God does is he gets him out of that tent. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it and all you see is the problems, that low ceiling, if you will, of the tent will weigh on you. So God takes him out. It says this in Genesis 15, 5. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, he says, so shall your offspring be. God takes Abraham out of, of the low ceiling of, of problems and circumstance and limitations, and he reveals that he has more. 
And I got to be honest, God was so wise to take Abraham on that journey in the way that he did because Abraham was only focused on a son. God was focused on you. The Bible says that we in this room, those Christians in the room, you are the seed of Abraham. You are part of this great covenant of faith. The Abrahamic covenant is alive and well because of a man that was going to obey God. And so God was so wise in the way that he did it. And what he did was he took him on a journey to lift his head so he could see things from a godly perspective. You listen to me. That is part of my job as your pastor. Because some of you are in a tent of discouragement. You're in a tent of wrong relationship. You're in a tent of limitation, circumstance. These life giants are all around you. And you need somebody to take you out of the tent, lift up your head, and say, God is big. He can do anything. He can answer prayer today. He moves today. He heals today. He provides today. He saves people's lives today. Amen, somebody? Give God praise. Come on, somebody. He's active, and he's moving on our behalf. And we, just like Caleb, need to open our eyes and have eyes of faith. Say amen, church. So God sees big things. Verse 7. Joshua 14, 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Write it down. Faith says it. You need to see it. You need to have a visualization of what it would look like if you obeyed God, but then you got to open your mouth. There's no such thing as your little private faith. You have to open your mouth about the promise that God has for you. Our convictions call for communications. You have to open your mouth about the conviction of what God can do. And what we need to do is speak God's vision, what's possible, and what we're capable of. Proverbs 18, I could preach a whole message just on this, but the tongue has the power of life and death. And you, my friend, have the ability to speak life over your life. And it's so easy sometimes, I get it, to speak death over what you're facing, to constantly speak about the problem that you're facing. And, and you, don't, you don't sometimes even hear yourself do it, but, but, but you have to open your ears, be like, why am I complaining? When somebody asks me how I'm doing, oh, I'm just busy why is that like a sign of merit? We start complaining and speaking death over our life and we tailspin downward. We can't, we can't do it that way. Caleb is saying, I didn't speak the things I saw. Though I saw the truth, I spoke the truth well. I spoke the truth with conviction, with the eyes of faith. Numbers 13 and verse 30. <clears throat> then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. That was Caleb's report. Let's take the hill. Let's make this thing happen. Joshua and Caleb, who were they? Men of faith. Men that took God at what he said, at his word, and said, that's enough for me. I can do it. And so Caleb spoke life over all of it, and yet that's not what the people did in Israel. Now, it's very interesting to me. Um, Ten spies go into the land. Two come back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb the rest didn't. We know Joshua and Caleb's name. You look in your Bible cover to cover, you will not find the names of those that came back with a negative report. And you know what that tells me? It's the Bible's way of saying the naysayers and those negative people will be forgotten in your life. 
I've never had the money to do what God's called me to do when he called me to do it. Never had it. Never had it in the bank. I had people that actively thought it will not work with New Chapel. I've had people my entire life say it cannot be done. And for some reason, I don't know if it's because I'm Italian or because God's spirit is in me, but something in me, that fuels me when you tell me I can't do it. Because you're telling me that God can't perform what he told me. And I know my God. I know my God. And so we have to remember that the naysayers will be silenced. Deuteronomy chapter 1, giving us context about all of this. The Bible says, Moses is saying, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You refused to go in. Remember this, you complained in your tents. You said, the Lord must hate us. And that's why he brought us here from Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Think about that statement. Weeks ago, weeks, not months, not years, weeks ago, they were slaves in Egypt. And God, who is loyal and loving and powerful, he, he released, he, he took a step back of his grace, and it released hellfire of plagues on Egypt. They were up against a rock and a hard place, literally the Red Sea. And God split the sea miraculously and it consumed the enemies of God. These are miracles that they watched within the previous couple of weeks. They went out into the desert. Where am I Baptist at? You think the Bible's not very supernatural, okay? Water came from a rock. Okay, not spiritual for you, okay? I'm hungry. Quail fell from the sky. I'm hungry. Let's eat this quail. I mean, they... (laughs) supernatural, miraculous power from Jesus in the Old Covenant. It's amazing. And they're saying, I think he went to kill us. What, what, what is going on? But this is the perspective change, the difference, and it's a fine line because we're all going to, the people of God, you can see it, they'll face hard things like everybody else. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. And and Moses is saying, you rebelled against the Lord and refused to do what the Lord asked you to do. What brings you to that spot where you see the miraculous and then you think God's trying to kill you? What brings you to that spot where you you refuse to take the step he's called you to? What would do that, right? Right? What would make you refuse? I refuse to serve. I refuse to give. I refuse to tithe. I, I think it's dead. I refuse to be a person who will share my faith. I refuse to to engage in everything God has called me to be. I I refuse to engage in small groups because they're awkward. Friend, listen to me. They are awkward. God built it that way so you could get over you. Who are we to say, oh, no, God? God has more for us. And we get to that spot, I think, for two reasons. First reason is they have the wrong relationships. These people that went into the land, they thought it was their job. They're like the government. We told you to do one thing. You're coming back with different things. We want to know how to win, not whether or not we fight. And these guys came in, and and, and they were small men, small men, small problems. Don't ever forget that. They're facing all of this, and these small men have this perspective that, that we can't. They're too big. They're too large. It's impenetrable. And the Bible says that they were demoralized by what these small men said. Well, of course. You can't listen to that. Some of you have been following God for the last couple of months. You rededicated or you got saved and you're on fire and you're already noticing yourself grow out of the friend circle that you have. You can't take that anymore. 
You, you, you've grown. I'm not saying we, we shun them or be weird. Please don't. That makes my job harder. But you realize I can't put up with that doubt and that junk anymore. I, I feel icky with it. And I used to be the ringleader, but I can't do it anymore. So they have the wrong relationships. But here's one big key. They complained. They complained in their tents. Massive point here. They thought they were complaining in private. Like, I'm not going to complain in front of everybody, let everybody know where I stand, but I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to, to have some pillow talk. It's going to be an intimate spot. All I'm do, well, I, I, I don't know how he's going to pull this off. This is another harebrained idea that he has. I don't know how we're going to afford this as the nation. Giants? Hello. I mean, we didn't have to deal with that in Egypt. I'm not, and they start to talk in their homes. And what Moses says is that because you complained in your homes, because you complained in your private place, that you're not going to go into the promised land. Your private talk, your, what you talk about privately, it has big implications on your public faith. You can't be one place in public and another person when you come by the church. Please don't be a hypocrite. If you got problems, come in with your problems big. But don't be a hypocrite. You hear what I'm saying, everybody? You have to. Jesus talked about this. What you do in private will be rewarded to you openly. When you go into your prayer closet privately, God rewards you openly. This privacy thing, don't think that you can say whatever you want. And so there's many ways I could take this. I'm going to take this one way. Parents. If everybody is stupid but you, you're going to raise a jerk. If every teacher is wrong and every coach is an idiot, and well, listen, pastor said this, but we just don't believe that way. You are teaching your kids that they can have an exception to every rule in life. I'm just here to tell you, not everybody's stupid. And you might not agree with everything that the teachers do. Lord Almighty, get me started on public schools and, and, and the witchcraft being, anyway, come back. I get it. You can't throw them under the bus nonstop. You can't throw me under the bus when I come out here and I make, it's untenable to, to, to violate some of the things I bring in front of you because it's like a Bible school class some Sundays. But you go, well, I just don't believe that way. You are telling your kids outside of the word of God, you can decide to do the opposite. And you discount what that does to your soul, much less to theirs. You're going to raise a jerk well, no, we're the church that... No, listen, you'll raise a jerk. Your rugged individualism, misplaced, not submitted to God, you'll raise a jerk. Quiet in this church, all of a sudden, praising God. Don't wonder why they don't get into the promised land. You might have cost them that by putting something on them Mr. Clean can't take off. By saying too much. Parents, rope it in. You might have to go off with your spouse and talk about something in a very sober way. I'm not saying deny truths. I'm saying you can't say whatever you want. These loose lips. I got to move on. They lost the promise of God because they listened to the voice of people with no vision. Don't ever listen to people with no vision. But then they spoke death over God's promise. And whether you do it in your secret place or out in public, it still speaks. It curses. That's what a curse is, speaking death over what God has put life into. And so faith opens its mouth. Faith says, I see this marriage working. 
I'm not talking about divorce anymore. My kids are coming back home. I'm not going to talk about how they messed up and how stupid they are. They are world changers and they are history makers. I'm not talking about our lack. I know that when that bill comes in, we don't have the money, but I'm going to tell you something. I've seen the bill already. I'm done talking about the bill. What God wills for, he will provide for. It's his bill. And so, Lord, I rest on you. And you start to speak the promise of God out loud. I'm telling you, find a promise in Scripture, stand on it, and you do that through your mouth. Finally, Joshua 14.10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 45 years since the time he had said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today is the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as then. Now give me that hill country that the Lord promised me that day. SNL isn't funny anymore. This is crying shame. <laughs> you might be dating yourself a little bit with this, but how many were around in the 90s? It was, it was good, right? And there was a character, Sally O'Malley. She was 50, and she would kick, stretch, and kick. (laughs) I'm not saying that that is based on the Bible, but it could be that they base this character on Caleb, because what is he saying? Uh, I'm going to go kill them all. I'm 85, and I'm just as strong as I've ever been. I got old man strength and gobs of it. I want the hill country. Notice he says, I want the hill country. Give me the hill country. He doesn't want the flatland. He's not going to listen to my knees, you know, and I got no cartilage in my, in my rotator cuff and my back, and, you know, I got to stop for a bathroom all the time, and, like, things aren't great like they used to be. You know, my sciatica, it comes up every way. No, he's like, look, I'm old. Let's get them all. He wanted the high country, and I'm convinced it's because he wanted that vantage point. He saw what God had shown him before. And though he lived 45 years in the wilderness, the wilderness did not live in Caleb. He had that vision in him. It was red hot. He said, give me what God showed me. He promised me that land. I want everything. I want every last little bit. And he was vigorous with it. We get so passive about our calling. We get so passive, we think it's all going to fall into our lap. My friend, it will not fall into your lap. If you have a great vision from God, it will be a war. But it is a fight worth fighting. And it's the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is not a fight to get it. It's a fight to keep it. God had already promised it to you. Every promise is yes and amen. (sighs) Might take a lap after Pastor Eric talked about... Now give me this hill country, verse 12. Give me this hill country the Lord promised me that day. You, yourself, and the Analekites, they were there in their cities, large and fortified, blah, blah, blah. But the Lord helping me with God's help, we're going to get them all. We're going to drive them all out. Take the hill. What are you saying, Pastor Joe? Faith sees it. You have to have eyes of faith. Faith says it, and then faith will seize it. Write it down. Faith seizes it. You, at some point, will have to take a step. At some point, you will have to put legs to your prayers. At some point, you're going to have to say, because I believe it so much, God's called me to this step of faith. And I'm not saying you need to scheme your way through it. Otherwise, you'll be like those jokers that said they couldn't do what God called them to do. Or you'll come up with some, like, smaller version when God says, do not spare. The word of the Lord is eternal. 
And when God says it, you have to take a step out there and seize the blessing of God. And it takes a while. Oh, I wish it was quicker than that. For Caleb and Joshua, 45 years. For Abraham, decades. And we are a microwave generation that serves a crockpot God. We want it instant. And what God wants to do is he wants to make sure that you're the type of person that can take the land. Even when Caleb got to the breakthrough, which a lot of you guys are like, oh God, I need a breakthrough. I need a harvest. Agricultural people, farmers know this. When you get to your big old harvest, it's more work. Look at his old man's strength. (laughs) It's not a theological term, but it's there. He says, now give me the hill country. I'm ready to whoop them. He's saying, it's harvest time. Do you know that when it's harvest time, there's harvest problems? You know, this church has big things, big things in front of it, things that we've only imagined. And the harvest is coming in, and, and, and we've never had to manage harvest before. What a relief, but it's harvest problems. We've got big things in front of us, and yet do we still have that vigor in us? After everything that we've been through together, do you still have that fight in you that says, I want all of it. I want everything God showed me. I want, I'm not leaving until I see the goodness of God. By God's grace, I will see his goodness in the land of the living. He not brought me this far to dump me. Old boy went out and fought giants valiantly and he took his promise from God. He seized it. He was ready for the, for the battle because he set his faith on God. Why did he take it? Joshua 14. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the Bible says, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And here it is again, wholeheartedly. I'm all in. I have a faith that's not going to mess around with small things. If you want big plans, you came to the right church. And we will see God's goodness. You too can have God's promises shown on your life. You can do it also with a full tank. What do you mean, Pastor? We say at New Chapel, you should minister out of the overflow. That God should fill you up so much that when you give out, you're giving out from the overflow of what he... We don't want you to run a deficit. How do you do it? Watch the messages in this series. He'll give you a map. It's found in God's word. He wants you to have a prayer on your lips that believes that he can do anything. God wants you to set your heart on the journey that he has, and then you will have to engage in that journey wholeheartedly. And when you do, you, and I do mean you, will see the promised land. It will happen in your life. God's spirit is here right now. Every Christian with their head bowed, every Christian praying. God, you are so wonderful. You are so mighty and strong. You're so loyal. You've never left us. When other people have left us, you've never left us. God, you're mighty in battle. God, I pray right now that there are people, they they long for a vision of what you could do. God, I pray right now in the eyes of their heart, give them a vision for their life. Give them a vision, God, for those that have had a vision and they put it on the shelf. Now's the time. Take it off the shelf. Blow off the dust. Now's the time to trust God.
What he spoke to you, he wasn't lying to you. He's not a man that he should lie. God's spirit is in this place. He's ministering to people and he's, he's making it so you can see it. Some of you, as you're seeing it, you're intimidated by the vision that God has given you. Don't, don't let that happen. In fact, you need to speak about it. Bring it out into the open. Don't hide it away. Anything you hide away, it goes in the darkness. That's where things go to die. You bring it out into the light. Talk to your family, your friends, your spouse. Begin to bring it into the light because God has an incredible plan for your life. The plans that he has will blow your mind and then seize it. There are people in the sound of my voice. There is a next step God has called you to and it blows your mind and you're thinking, God, I don't know how exactly. You don't have to figure it all out. You have to take the step that God showed you and he'll minister to you that step right now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. Help the people right now that are saying, God, I'm not seeing anything. That's the cry of their heart. God, show them. God, I pray that when you do it, you couple it with peace. Lord, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice today, right now, in this moment, who don't know you personally, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. If you came into the service and you'd say, Pastor Joe... I love it. Something in my heart resonates with all of it. Well, that's God's spirit confirming the word. But you'd say also, Pastor Joe, my life's not right with God. The only way to have your life right with God is through his only son, Jesus. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's when you call Jesus God's son, Lord, boss, you finally give up on being the God of your own life. You put control in his hands. And, and yes, that, you, that makes it so you avoid a Christless hell. You have an eternity in heaven when you die. But that full life, that abundant life that Jesus promised, it can come to you today. I am not saying every problem you face will be solved. And amen. I'm saying that you'll have peace through any problem you'll face. And that's here in the room right now. It's on the other end of Amen. And so church, I want to pray this out loud. I want to pray it with those people that are accepting Christ. Would you pray it out loud with me as we commit our hearts? Pray this out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. I confess Jesus as Lord. I surrender now. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ in the house. And we pray for you because you're at a church that loves you. Come next week. I believe God's going to speak to you. Let me pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. As you go, love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.